Changing healthcare starts with a dream. Better care, smarter care, and healthier people. Listen weekly as Dr. Gregory Goodman interviews today's most innovative MDs as they transform healthcare and share their journey from white coat to business suit, highlighting lessons learned and golden prescriptions for your success. Join us today and get your doctor-recommended dose of MD innovation. This is Dr. Greg Goodman on The Modern MD, episode number 37. Really excited. I've got Dr. David Best, who's the founder and CEO of The Doctor's Channel, a website for doctors with pointed, accurate, and brief content. David is also the co-founder and CEO of MDIA, a medical education company known in the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry as one of the most creative med ed companies. He's also the co-founder of Best MSLs, a contract science liaison company that was the very first to get scientifically credentialed. David, welcome to the Modern MD. Such an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for that nice introduction. So David, can you tell me a little bit more about you personally and your entrepreneurial journey? Yes. I mean, where do you want to begin? Like when I suddenly realized I was better as an entrepreneur than as a physician? Or uh, I guess we could take it from going back to the days of why I gave up medicine to pursue a uh, a career in uh, communications. I was, I think it was, in, it was in my ENT residency. And I always kept putting off. I never found uh, the, the actual uh, the medicine part, you know, seeing patients, whatever, as stimulating as maybe as conducting a grand rounds program or putting together a talk or any kind of communication aspect. So as a whim, I wrote letters to 30 ad agencies in New York in a very simple sentence. I'm a physician with creative writing abilities. Perhaps my interests are germane to your needs. And I got three responses from big companies, and one was from Saatchi, and Saatchi, and um, they invited me to come in for an interview to their medical advertising agency. I didn't even know medical advertising agencies existed. So I and didn't even respond, by the way. As I said, I did this as a whim. And then as I was getting more and more depressed, uh, I think it was Christmas time at the Pittsburgh VA when they were smoking cigars through their trachs. And I decided, I think this is, I've had enough. <laughs> and I called New York and I said, is that job still open as a medical director? And they, at their, it was Club their Advertising at the time, as part of Saatchi. And they said, yeah. They said, we've been looking for nine months. We haven't hired anybody yet. So I lied and said, I'm coming, I'm coming back to New York for a family. Family reunion. I'll be there tomorrow. And I went there, interviewed, and really as a writing example, I was the editor-in-chief of my yearbook in medical school. I brought my yearbook in. It was very satirical, and I must say it was kind of funny. They looked at that. They interviewed me, and they said, we'll get back to you. And two weeks later, they said, you got the job. And then from that point on, it changed my life. I mean, think about it, to be on Madison Avenue and being involved in the world of medical communication and education. And basically what you did as a medical director in that agency is reviewed the copy, you were on the creative team, and, and all different aspects of educating doctors on the proper usage of, of a medication. And in those days, we had everything from Indorel to Premarin, so antihypertensive drugs to uh, even the launch of Rogaine. Uh, the consumer had Tylenol. And, all. and it's been a very rewarding career in that in that area. And then from there, we I jumped to client side to be part of Bristol Myers Squibb, where that's where we started the first medical science liaison 
actually job. I mean, there was never was. That was the first. That was my uh, sort of my task was to start a team of MDs, RNDs, and PhDs that went out, visited the key opinion leaders. So this is a scientific credentialed team. It was the first in the industry. Upjohn takes credit for the name MSL, but they were super reps. But this is the first scientific credentialed group. We started that group back in 1989, and other companies did it. I'm a standard. In fact, CNN said it's one of the best jobs in the pharmaceutical business is a medical science liaison. And that expertise I took with me with my new company here, Best MSLs, where we do contract MSL teams. So the pharmaceutical company will hire us to put a team together and put their whole infrastructure together, and we go out and, and, and put out these teams on behalf of the various pharmaceutical and biotech companies. As the years went on in communication, uh, my business partner, uh, Mike Banks, is also uh, he's internal medicine. I was ENT. We looked at each other one day, and his video became more and more perfected. You know, remember the old days used to be very choppy and slow, and as it became more perfected, we decided, you know what? Why don't we give doctors what they want? I mean, they have precious little time during the day to get education. They really want to want information on a need-to-know basis, and they want it concise and condensed and to the point. And we decided, let's start the Doctor's Channel. It's short videos for doctors. We have almost, we're the world's largest now. We have over 7,000 short videos, all one to two minutes long, that get right to the point. And that information is delivered by the world's opinion leaders. Um, we also have, we know doctors want CME, so that's longer, of course. That goes like from uh, eight to 12 minutes. And they can take their, watch a CME video, answer the questions, and then even stores their CME credits. And then we know doctors are human also, and they love a good tip. So we have what we call Doc Life, and that is um, our travel and leisure when the doctor is not on call. So we make restaurant recommendations, theater, travel, museums, technology uh, ideas and things. And that's, and again, all of the short uh, one to two minutes to the point stuff. But doctors love that. So if they go on convention, they look up Chicago, and they'll get places we recommend uh, to go. And it's not always the standard stuff. It's always little out-of-the-way places or neat, memorable types of uh, restaurants, for example, that they're very famous for certain items and things. So that's part of it. We just started, it's, it's been a year now, the Almost Doctors channel. And we're getting raised uh, comments about that. It's really amazing how that just took off. This is the med students are the contributors. They write the articles. It's not a video site, but it's like the Doctors channel. It's the Almost Doctors channel. And it's, it's for, for pre-meds, medical students, even though we actually say residents and fellows are also invited. And we'll have everything on there from the best costume to wear for Halloween medical school party to uh, what it takes to be a doctor and, uh, and, you know, some of the serious side of it, but also even about relationships in medical school and things like that. And the students are all the uh, contributors for that. That's our uh, newest baby right now. What an incredible journey, David. It's awesome to hear that with one letter, your life changed. You just kind of you know, went on a whim and uh, your entire career changed and kind of followed your passion of creativity. And, you know, I think you're doing some really incredible work at the Doctors Channel. It sounds like the Almost Doctors Channel is pretty hot and exciting. It's really awesome. So I'd love to start the uh, show off with a success quote. Do you have a quote that's important to you or something that's meaningful that you'd like to share? Well, I always, if we do any new business pitch, you know, whether it's NSL teams, best NSLs, or for companies, you know, advertise or do videos on the doctor's channel or whatever, uh, I mean, I always say at the very end, stay on the edge, more happens there. Uh, yeah, of course, I, I live by that. I mean, you know, always try to be cutting edge, different than anybody else. 
take a little risk. I love the fact they say more happens there, and it is true. <laughs> more happens on the edge. The other thing is I will always say, we used to have this on our conference room wall, says if you give the client what they already want, someone else will give them what they never dreamed possible. And, you know, in the med-ed part, which is MDEA, Ideas in Medical Education, that's our medical communications division. Yeah, sure, if, you, if a client wanted to do an investigator meeting in that board, you know, even these are some nuts and bolts things that you do. So we say, are we order takers? Well, certain things you do take an order to do something. But then on the other hand, you say, well, why don't we try it this way? Or why don't we make this online? Or why don't we do uh, make this into a game? Or have you ever thought of this? That's why I love that phrase, someone else also do them with an everything possible, meaning you always have to make a recommendation to a client. Just don't say, yes, we can do that. Say, yes, we can do that. However, here's another way of doing it. And I'd love to watch the client smile and say, wow, I never thought of that great idea. Let's do it. So I guess those are the two things that we, uh, that we live by here at the office. And I think if you live by that, you'll always sort of, you'll definitely be on the cutting edge for sure. I love that. I think it's so important to live on the edge, take a little bit of risk, you know, live a different journey, live your own journey. I want to transition into the white coat to business suit. I know you shared a little bit, you know, about your transition and and how you left the ENT residency and, you know, went full time into the creative side of things. Can you kind of take us to your mindset and, and how you made that switch and maybe some advice that you'd have for, you know, other residents? or other physicians that are interested in, in doing something else and kind of living a different part of their uh, career or, or passion? Well, I think the number one uh, bit of advice for that is you really have to be honest with yourself. I mean, I admit, I was brainwashed. You know, I had a, a Jewish mother that used to call me Dr. David when I was five years old. If she cut her finger, she'd say, here, you want to put a Band-Aid on it? So I was, I was absolutely brainwashed to be a doctor. But I'm thankful. I mean, I, that was, I think that's still the great degree to have. And, opened up doors uh, for me in an amazing way. Of course, it's a fantastic degree, and it's great education, but I was brainwashed. I mean, I also was brainwashed in a way because I, I did look at my family doctor. I still remember Dr. Sid Weiss in Camden, New Jersey. I mean, when, when you were sick and he walked into that room, you were looking at God. You couldn't wait to hear what he was going to say, and I thought to myself, what a wonderful profession. You know, you're so revered, and you're, you're so important to somebody that's sick, and you're making them better and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I really did say this is the job you should be doing in life. But then I thought to myself as I'm going through pre-med and high school and finding it a total bore, and I said, well, where do I get to college? And you get that fetal pig and you're saying to yourself, what's so interesting about a fetal pig? And you say, well, I'll go to medical school. And then you get the pre-med, so you get the um, the preclinical years and it's all memorization and Krebs cycle and biochem. And then you say to yourself, oh, this is not the most fascinating, interesting, it's a bunch of memory stuff. But when I get on the floors, then it'll be interesting. Then you go on the floors and you say to yourself, you know, I just delivered a baby. That was terrific. But I don't know if that was the greatest stimulation in my life. I didn't find that, you know, where I, you know, going on rounds, is is this making me happy? And you say, well, wait till I get to my residency. I'm a real doctor now. So you do your two years of surgery before you ENT and you say, boy, OR, that's not so interesting. I'm not so, you know, it's very root, routine, you know, very rote and routine, and surgeons are playing music because they're bored to death. I said, uh, this is not doing it for me. But then you say, well, now I'll be in my specialty. ENT is what I wanted. And then you do that, and you say to yourself, this still is not it. You say to yourself, you have to be honest with yourself, I just don't like it. 
once you and, and here's the best part. You do tell your family you're thinking of not seeing patients or whatever, and here's what you get back from family. Well, go ahead and start a practice, and if you, then for a couple of years, and then if you don't like it, then make the switch. Well, when you do that, you're already financially in debt, and you're stuck in it, and then you're trapped. And so the thing I say is be honest with yourself. If you're not enjoying it and you don't like it, get out early. Don't I? You know, I go to a meeting every year. I'm sort of a, I'm a mentor there and a speaker. It's called Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians. It is the saddest meeting you'll ever see. 400 doctors that don't want to practice medicine or see patients. And it's interesting. Some are young and I, you know, some are great middle of residency. They only have a $400,000 bill to pay off, but they recognize and they're looking for ways, other things to do in life. And then some are in their 40s and 50s and even 60s that are miserable and they want to find something else to do. And, you know, it's a shame. You could be a surgeon and you're 60 years old and you're, they know nothing about business. And, you know, you have to be honest with them. You've, you've spent 60 years doing gallbladders, but right now, a major corporation has no need <laughs> you, if you know, if you want to know how a surgeon uh, thinks and breathes, you don't need a full-time surgeon on your staff. It's called market research. I used to say you can, you can, if you want to know how doctors think and breathe, you give them twenty-five dollars in a corned beef sandwich, and uh, you can. It's called market research, and it's also sad because some of these alternative careers are reviewing medical charts or insurance forms or expert witness stuff, and yeah. So I just thrilled that, you know, I was lucky enough to take, do it early and get into something I was interested in and being in a job that's so uh, different every day and creative. I think the, the, the line, the best say about why I left is, I, when somebody says to me, why did you leave medicine? I think the bottom line is I said, I didn't want a job that I could tell you what I'd be doing 30 years from now on a Tuesday afternoon. And despite all the magic and lotions and potions and lasers and computers, whatever, you're still going to be a sick patient that walks in the door. You're still going to listen to what they have. You're going to figure out a diagnosis and a treatment. And it seemed to me very rote. And, you know, after 30 years now since I've left, and in my current job, I have not a clue what I'm going to do on a Tuesday afternoon or even tomorrow or even two hours from now. It's so varied and so much creativity involved and so much excitement surrounds the job every day. I really don't know what I'm going to be doing. But I had that feeling that uh, the physician, it sort of becomes very, very routine. And that's why I left. God love all the doctors that love seeing patients. And I thank God we have them all. I, I love that, but it just wasn't for me, and I recognized it early, opted out. But still, use a degree, by the way. I just didn't say that. Not like I, I, you know, I'm not managing a restaurant, a Rockefeller Center. I mean, the degree. I, I need the degree. I need the best scientific background because we're doing education. We're doing medical education. We're using the degree. I'm not giving that up altogether. You know, again, I recognized it early and got out. I think that's really great advice. Uh, it's very easy to stay the course and you know go through the the long you know, residency, if it's something that you're not passionate about, I, for those physician entrepreneurs listening, you know, look at some of the other opportunities as far as other creative skills. You've got a lot of other skills, David, that you know, allowed you to kind of explore some of the other opportunities in business. I want to shift to our idea to venture section. Can you just talk a little bit about starting the doctor's channel? You know, video was becoming cool and, you know, there was an exciting new platform. Can you talk about founding the doctor's channel? and uh, some of uh, the lessons learned and, and the big vision behind it? Well, as I said, you know, you have to have a vision, but you also have to, you know, in the world, the definition of marketing is, you know, find a need and fulfill it. 
<laughs> and I think it was such an easy need. There wasn't a video site. And there still isn't. I mean, there's a lot of little competition. When they say, who's your competition? Well, you know, our biggest competition are some of the sites that don't do video. And they'll put a few videos on, but they're just medical education sites. Even if you notice how pharmaceutical companies, they years ago, they used to do 16-page journal ads. Because it was like one of the nuts and bolts. You have to do that. You have to put a journal ad in a big ad. We don't even know if anybody reads it or even how, how, how long they look at each page. But that was a nuts and bolts type of thing. We looked at ourselves and we really said, nobody's going to read a 16-page journal ad or nobody wants to sit and look at a talking head on, on a computer for an hour, 45 minutes. The easiest thing is what potential client will say to them, how long, when you go on YouTube, do you hit a, seven, a video that's seven minutes, nine minutes, five minutes? You like two minutes and 12 seconds, one minute and 40, minute 58. <laughs> so basically what we did is we gave the doctors, we did focus groups and stuff, we gave them what they wanted. Just tell me what I need to know that gets right to the point. And that's exactly, if you remember when you were in college, when did you really pay attention? This is when you paid attention, when the professor said at the end of the class, okay, here's what you need to know for tomorrow's test. <laughs> and everybody leans over and starts getting that pencil out and doesn't miss a word. So that's the kind of style we do here. Here's great information delivered all in a short, condensed form that gets to the point. The other thing, again, when you say the vision, what we were looking for is doctors are people. They respond to sound, light, and color. <laughs> In fact, the key opinion leaders of the world right now could have been at Woodstock. They could have been the pawn shop and acid in Woodstock. I mean, they, they were the Woodstock generation. They're not old fogies with patches on their, you know, their, on their corduroy blazers like we used to think they were, and all they do is read black and white journalize. I had an epiphany when I sat in a bus going to the advisory board meeting that we were conducting, when a doctor behind me said, are you going to the Stones concert? And I whipped around, and there was my uh, you know, 58-year-old chairman of the department who was the uh, moderator of the ad board. <laughs> and I thought I would never hear somebody like that say, going to the Stones concert. To recognize that doctors are human, they love comedy, they love fun, they love places to go, they have interests just like anybody else, and you don't have to kowtow toward them, and you don't have to make things dreary. Now, we are talking life and death, we are talking sickness, we are talking medicine, do have serious information, but again, their attention span, or anybody's attention, and it, you know, it's, a, it's an age of media snacking. Nobody has an attention span for more than a minute or two. You just have to go on a, uh, a subway car in the city of New York, and everybody's looking down at their uh, iPhones and Android. So, in the, as they say, in an age of media snacking, you do have to deliver your information short and to the point, because nobody has, as that, nobody has an attention span to sit there and stare at a talking head. In fact, we always say the doctor's channel, no artificial plants and no bookcases, because you all remember those medical videos or movies where the doctor stands in front of a bookcase and talks for an hour. Nobody can do that anymore. Well, I was going to say, so that was the concept. Make it human, feel, make it have a personality to the site, but make it short, simple, to the point of our content. So you, I guess this is an old adage. You have to, content is king, so you have to have great content. The other thing as far as a recommendation from us as far as startup goes is that you know, we didn't use any uh, VC money because I think you know, the profits from our uh, med-ed company would sort of feed in, we would take the profits from that and feed into the uh, into the Doctor's Channel startup. And there were a lot that came around that Bain Capital wanted to talk to us and other people, whatever their line was, whether I started Microsoft, I can help you guys and all that. But we always enjoyed our business. 
we enjoyed ourselves <laughs> running it. And we knew if you ever get investors involved, you're no longer your own boss. But I mean, a tip for starting something like this, you really got to believe in, you got to really believe in your business. Because people will say to you, that's a bad idea, or, you know, it'll never work, you know, all that kind of stuff. The other thing is you, you may believe in the business, but you also have to continue to test. And I learned that from my uh, days when I was in advertising, you know, some big clients are always doing market research and stuff. And you can't just ask your friends and family because they're going to say, they're going to tell you what uh, what you want to hear. I just went to a Broadway, uh, one of these uh, tryout type things where they have a concept for a show and then the composer plays the music. And it's a friend of mine that's going to try to produce this show. And I, it was so terrible. What an awful show. But here's what happens. She had invited all her friends and colleagues and stuff to come see it. So you don't want to hurt her feelings. So what do you do after the show? They say, what do you think? What do you think? And he goes, oh, we loved it. Oh, my God. It was great. We loved it. Because I realized then, I said, this is why there were bad shows being produced. Because they really don't get an honest answer. And they continue to move on and move on. I've seen many a stinker. I remember my father years ago, he saw a terrible, terrible musical or whatever. It was called Chu Chem. That's what it was called, Chu Chem. It was a tryout in Philadelphia. It was so bad. And my father made a very poignant, great comment. He says, you know, the people that put these shows on, they're in the business. Don't they know when it stinks? <laughs> yeah, you've seen, I'm sure you saw a lousy show someday or play or music. I said, don't they know when it stinks? He said, they're in the business. I guess this is what happens. You're, you, you can't test things with friends and family. So you really have to do true tests because really everybody lies when it comes to getting their opinion and stuff. Then the other thing as far as giving some ideas about how we start the shot, you got to be fast. We, change, we move real fast. That's what's nice about a small company. You can be nimble, flexible. And it's funny, our competition... 700 people in an office building and everything has to go through around and around and around and around. And uh, But we could change it. You know, somebody says, I don't want, you know, you shouldn't put a logo on the upper left or move it to the lower right. You know, it's done in a day. Need six of these kind of, these doctors from Cleveland Clinic, can you get them on there tomorrow? I mean, we, we move fast. And so it, it and be responsive to what's changing too. Or even if a customer, one of the users, calls in and said, you know, you add this, or or even like with Ebola, I mean, you could be up in a day, that kind of stuff. And you got to. But then, having said that, I, I'm sort of contradicting myself because I'm also saying that you have to test things too. So you could be fast and change quickly, but again, you got to be sure what you're doing and you know, you, you know, taking your time to at least make sure it's totally right before you do anything like that. And I guess the last thing is, or one of the other tips I say is family, forget it. Meaning what family when it comes to work, because you know, you're going to be able to feed your family if you're successful. But there is no such thing as a work-life balance when you're starting a company. You really, unfortunately, it's sad, but you really do have to give it all to the business if you're starting a business, because it is really tough. You know, certain things have to take a back seat in the beginning. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, well, there's time, there's a nice balance. There is no balance in the beginning when you're trying to start a business. You really got to be uh, committed to it. It's not that easy. David, you shared some incredible insights about starting the doctor's channel. In, in the entrepreneurial space, you've got to move fast. You, you know, you've got to be flexible. I think the the testing piece is so important, especially if you have a little bit of time. You also shared one thing that, you know, for those listeners looking to raising capital, you shared a really incredible point, which is if you are going to raise capital, beware that, you know, you will be taking on investors and, you know, so the interests of the company might change. I want to shift to our last section, which is not our typical 
hospital rounds, business rounds. David, what is the best advice that you've ever received? The best advice, I'll tell you what, I can recall at Kleppner Advertising, and I was the medical director. It was now like six years as a medical director, and, and I remember walking into my boss and saying to them, on Friday after Fridays, should I go back and work in the ER so I can keep my hands wet and still... And here, I thought they were going to say, oh, that would be wonderful, meaning, you know, I still can keep my... It's been six years since I've been seeing practicing medicine. And they went, nah. I said, you should go for your MBA. This is in the 80s now. There's very few MD, MBAs. You should go for your MBA. It'll hone your business skills. It'll give you credibility. Go for your MBA. And there's an executive program. There's Friday and Saturdays for two years. And so I joined and went to Baruch. And I think that was great advice. That's what that comment came like, you know, we don't need you around here to tell us how a doctor thinks and breathes. I said, that's when they said to me, we can give them $25 in a corned beef sandwich in those days. I think now a corned beef sandwich is $25. I was really shocked. I thought they would rather say, yes, we need you to continue to know medicine and practice the medicine. And they said, no, it's rare to have a doctor with an MBA. Go for your business degree. So I went to Baruch for two years and I have to tell you, I loved it. I was in my middle 30s. I I was like, it made me feel young again. And it's also good to get your MBA when you've already been in business because it does relate to what you're doing. This MD, MBA combo is nothing more than an extra few years of school. And, you, and, and it's, just a, it's just more memorization. And, you know, you have no concept of what, you know, what the business world is if you've still been in school all these years. So to go back and get it. And by the way, if you go for your MBA as a physician, there's a figure out there that if you go on the exec programs, 85% graduate. If you go part-time at night, 23% get their degree. So if you have to do it and you can arrange your schedule, it's better to do the exec program kind of one day a week or alternating whatever Friday and Saturday in the summer is the best way to go. That was one of my best advice because I have to tell you, once you have the MBA, you sort of have, they used to say to me sometimes, you're a physician, how do you know anything creative? You're a physician, you make the worst business people. <laughs> so somehow the MBA Besides me loving it so much, and that's why I say it's great advice, it also does give you credibility when you're in the business world, no matter you know what it is, whether it's negotiating contract or just having the credibility that you understand the, the you know marketing and pharmaceutical marketing. That could say that was some of the best advice that I ever uh, got. I think that's really great advice. You know, getting the MBA when you've got a little business experience is probably more helpful than going and during the uh, the program. So I want to shift into our daily success habit. David, I know you don't know what you're doing on a Tuesday, but do you have a daily success habit that you want to share? Absolutely. Bring your dog to the office. I can't tell you the joy. You know, I walk from my apartment. I walk to my another brand. The luxury, I guess, of walking to work. Since we have our own operation here, we are a pet-friendly office, and my co-founder, he, he brought a little Maltese, Libby, to the office, and I bring my dog, his name is Elvis, the Jack Russell Terrier. That is our, our habit for the office. I can't tell you how much fun it is to have dogs in the office. I mean, they do have a job. They protect us from the FedEx delivery and the UPS man. And, and, and there are studies that show this. I mean, they've done studies on this where it brings, a, you know, having a pet brings down your blood pressure. Uh, it creates a camaraderie in the office. They are funny and they are. And everybody in the office, take, some will take the dog to walk or walk some feed the dog and all that. But he's become sort of our, he's our office mascot, but he's also sort of become our marketing tool for us. Because I've found that that's a common thread. When you mention a pet, 
in a business meeting or you show you know, we have our dog on our visit. Some people don't like their kids or they have trouble with their kids. <laughs> it's a sore spot or their family, spouse, whatever. Everybody loves their dog. So when you talk about it's amazing. I mean, you know, you come in and you, they they love talking about their pet. That's my one habit. It makes it really gives me a feeling of a calmness, enjoyment, a smile every day. You know, if anything gives you a lot of tension, you just look down and you see your little Jack Russell Terrier under your office desk. There's nothing better. So that's the one everyday tip I could give you. Take your pet to work. I love that, David. That's awesome. I think it's probably one of my favorite success tips from all the entrepreneurs. Take your dog to work and be happy. So shifting to our last question, which is healthcare trends. What are you following and what do you think some of the most exciting things going on in healthcare are? Well, I have a feeling that I think what's going to happen is the there's going to be more nurse practitioners actually doing the hands-on. And I actually think there's going to be still more wearable technology. And I think the future is that the the, the doctor may be sitting, believe it or not, at a bank of screens. <laughs> and having information being sent to him via the technology, the, the one-on-one, the telemedicine, the screen-to-screen patient. I mean, it really is so much more efficient when you can get your doctor on a, on a screen, on a computer screen, and ask your questions. And then the next step will be, if they can't judge or make a diagnosis or whatever, then the next step you're going to come in, but it's going to be a nurse practitioner or whatever, and then eventually it'll be the uh, the physician that's going to have the laying of the hands, I think. But I really think telemedicine is where it's at, and all the technology where the doctor can see your pulse, you know, can, you know, know your pulse rate, your respiratory rate, blood tests now, I mean, so much is happening in that direction. So I think going to the office is going to be uh, reduced, and I don't want to say a thing in the past, but it's going to have to be reduced. Plus, the population continues to grow or whatever, and uh, we don't even know how many doctors are going to have to be able to cover all these other areas. I think that's going to be the, the, the trend. I know there's companies out there now that have telemedicine, and the key has always been, will insurance cover these kind of visits? And uh, and I think doctors will be much happier, too. I mean, it's much, I mean, if you could subsidize your income, even, you know, signing in and being available for questions you know, via your laptop from 7 to 9 at night and be reimbursed for that kind of thing and, and being able to help someone and answer their questions that way, it, it's much better than having a sick person have to schlep to the office and sitting there for an hour and a half to ask the same question they could do via the screen. I couldn't agree more. I think technology is really an exciting time in healthcare. Dr. David Best from the Doctors Channel, an absolute honor and privilege having you on the show. Thanks so much for sharing your insights. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, I must say it was my pleasure. And my dog Elvis wants to thank you all too. And he only barked once during the whole interview. I was good. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Modern MD. Head to themodernmd.com to get links and recaps of every show and so much more. Dose up and like The Modern MD Facebook page.